strap like that. Right on my waistline is why I kept that strap. I remember nights. I didn't remember nights. I damn near went crazy. I had to get it right. Now I'm your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper. The absolute truth. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Trap Drop Podcast. Uh, TC here, fresh off a travel day, coming back from the West Coast. First of all, thank you, Mr. Jeezy. I would be remiss if we didn't say thank you, Mr. Jeezy. We've been pretty spotty on that lately. Joined this morning by my associate, the Pie Man. Pie Man, how are we? I'm doing great, TC. Uh, good to be back. Uh, you know, kind of a rapid fire appearance on, on the uh, or appearances on the Trap Drop podcast. A little different style than the 1923 pod that you know Neil and I put together a couple couple weeks ago. But hey, we're we're throwing some stuff against the wall. We think this one will be a little more broad appeal. Uh, but I think the people who you know who that 1923 pod were meant for, uh, I I think they welcomed it with open arms. So I'm I'm happy to be back. These topic ones are fun. We'll get back to chopping it here over the next next couple of weeks, but it's kind of that time of year where people have some trips going. It's fun to fire up something that's, that's a little bit unexpected. So before we get into it, want to thank uh, our first sponsor today, and that is Roback. Roback Activewear. DJ, I don't have to tell you, it's, it's getting to be summer. I'm getting word from some friends uh, over in the UK, uh, over in Scotland, that it might be a hot boy summer. Really? Uh, the, yeah, the links are getting burned out. It's crazy hot, firm and fast, browned out over there. Uh, it sounds like might be the same case here in the States as well. But uh, there, there are some fresh new releases. The Stars and Stripes, Sally was wearing those all week uh, in LA. Uh, I busted out the Tanimal uh had to do back it at him. lacc had to do it to him uh the fit the feel the quality of the polos the pullovers it was kind of pullover season out there you know the marine layer in the morning that's what i'm you that's what i'm yeah. saying this week was so sucky up in milwaukee that it's been great to have a full closet of of uh rowback for every season really you know it's polos it's hoodies it's q-zips it's you kind of need them all at this time of year and then the yeah yeah like the white hoodie was out in full force that felt very very LA this the, week the KVV uh, you know Missy Elliott hoodie shout out to Mr Jeezy hoodie. of course uh, yeah so it's so comfortable um, it sounds like Hot Boy Summer is kind of kind of on on a delay maybe a maybe a yeah we're uh, getting there though maybe a weather delay up yeah we're we're easing it to it we're gonna we're gonna restart players are gonna hit the range in about an hour and a half and then we're you know Hot Boy Summer's on 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 the table shortly. So uh, visit Roback.com. That's R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. I think it's 15% off right now. It might be 20% still with Father's Day approaching. Mm. So hop in there. It could That's be a, a good nice reason to go visit. Yeah, go check it out. It's a true who could say situation. <laughs> oh, like playing the lottery. Uh, yeah, that's code TRAP, T-R-A-P, for 20% off at Roback.com. All polos, Q-zips, hoodies, and tees with code TRAP. Get ready for summer with Roback. Well, Deej, I'll, I will let you introduce our guest today, uh, another DP, yeah, DP World Tour here. So let, let's set it up. So, Tron, we're going to be talking about a, a topic that is near and dear to our hearts, uh, and that's coffee. It's, it's a topic about which I think we've had some of our most heated arguments. We've drawn alliances. Uh, we've drawn, you know, enemies. We've drawn lines in the sand across Jacksonville. You know, you're welcome at this coffee shop. You're not welcome at this coffee shop can't believe you would say this about that place. I'll just it's it's been a a real well, I, nuclear I, I, issue. 
I will say, Sally, since moving into the neighborhood, I've seen him at Bold Bean a couple times. That's interesting. Yeah, he seems to be changing his tune. Well, let's so let's bring in our guest. And just to set it up a little bit, so I moved to Milwaukee on the Nest podcast I was talking about. Someone asked, you know, where are you getting coffee? There's a lot of Milwaukee natives, people who spend a lot of time here. And I said, well, there's kind of two chains. You know, there's there's Collectivo, which is kind of close to my house. And then there's Stone Creek, which is kind of close to my house. And, you know, I've been going to Collectivo. It's it's really good. They got, you know, good breakfast. I can walk there from my place. And and I got a message, a, you know, a, a very kind uh, proprietor of local coffee who said, man, I that's tough. I'd love a chance to win your business over at Stone Creek. And that was Drew Pond. And uh, so I took him up on it. I said, please, Drew, let's meet for coffee on Friday morning. You can give me the whole sales pitch. And I'm happy to report we've been friends ever since. Uh, still meet for coffee every Friday uh, over at the Stone Creek. And uh, that, so yeah, Drew Pond. Drew, welcome to the pod. I know you're a longtime, uh, longtime listener, first-time caller. Uh, how are you this morning? Yeah, guys, great. Uh, absolutely elated uh, to join and uh, chat about one of my favorite things, tangential to one of my other favorite things being golf. I know we're not going to get into golf here. I know that's the rule, but I'm definitely happy to talk about the bean juice and all things pertaining to it. <laughs> uh, well, why don't you uh, why don't we start with a little intro? What? Who are you? What do you do? How did you get into coffee? Yeah, in short, I, I'd say I'm a coffee geek and a golf sicko uh, that occupies most of my time I, outside of uh, life with three kids. Tron, I know you know a little bit about what that's like uh, and the amount of time and attention uh, required with that. So as much as possible, I like to get out and knock them around. Um, but I got into coffee through my time in seminary, actually. So I uh, Coffee was not my first play or my first intention. I was uh, studying to be a pastor, and uh, that's how I started working in coffee. I worked as a barista while I was in seminary. I had drunk coffee in college, as we all do. Big white mocha guy at the time. Uh, I have since evolved a smidge, but that's how I really got into it. Uh, yeah, I've always had a massive sweet tooth. Uh, so Starbucks oh, on campus. You and me both, brother. <laughs> it's hard to say no. Hard to say no. Uh, so... In seminary, though, I, the coffee shop I worked at um, actually served Colectivo. So that's the last uh, kind of, of any props I'm going to give them today, just for the sake of time. You know, we really don't have time to parse all that out. Uh, but that was where I learned a little bit about kind of what coffee could be. Uh, growing up in North Texas, there's not really specialty coffee. We'll get into what specialty coffee is. There's Starbucks and that's it. Uh, but when we moved to Wisconsin, uh, kind of surrounded by these coffee roasters doing things a little bit differently, I was intrigued by, oh my gosh, like this whole coffee thing. How deep does this wormhole go? Uh, so yeah, that was the start of the journey. Following seminary is when I started to actually like pursue a career in coffee and joined Stone Creek in 2014. Uh, became a part owner in Stone Creek in 2016, and it's been a, a, a ride ever since. So give us a little sense of, of the Stone Creek operation. How, how big are we talking about? How many, how many stores, how many cafes? What, what are we, uh, what are we dealing with? Yeah, we have 160 employees. We are what I call uh, a specialty coffee roaster, wholesaler and cafe operator. And the reason I include all those things is coffee companies can take on different shapes. So we roast our own coffee and we source it ourselves. We call it from farm to cup, meaning that we, 
as much as possible, try to travel to origin countries, build direct relationships with the farmers and exporters through whom we get our coffee. Then we roast it ourselves. We do B2B sales. So if you need coffee at your office, your hospital, your college, your cafe, whatever, we can hook you up with a coffee program, help you design that. Um, and then we run our own cafes. We have eight across the greater Milwaukee area, and uh, we're working on our ninth, which should be uh, sick. Should be very, very, very cool. Uh, so uh, you you mentioned kind of your your white mocha uh, sweet tooth. Talk to me about the the life cycle of your your coffee taste. How did how did things evolve? Because I'm sure that's going to mirror uh, you know listeners listeners paths. Yeah, but going, like going from white mocha to like, hey, I'm part part owner of this. Like, that <laughs> seems like a pretty stark journey in a pretty short amount of yeah. time. There. Well, I mean, you start. You yeah, talk to me about all the phases. What phases did you go through? Because I'm picturing almost like the way people change hairstyles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely. Uh, directly aligned to that i mean so like take any hobby right like when we i'm a big bourbon geek too love bourbon and whenever you are introduced to a particular product you dig uh there's this initial allure but you know nothing right so you're just like okay i'm gonna try uh a little bit of everything and sometimes you're drinking something that you love that you will eventually come to hate because you learn how bad it is but you liked it at the time, right? Like a white mocha, of course, is delicious. It's mostly sugar with some coffee flavoring basically added to it. When I was working in coffee, still drinking a lot of lattes or dark coffee with a lot of like cream and sugar, there was a particular coffee I had that's, uh, it undergoes a certain kind of fermentation in the origin country long before it's ever sent stateside. And that's, it's called a natural process. It's when the coffee cherry because coffee is the pit of a cherry, which is kind of a mind blowing proposition to a lot of people. It's not, it's not a bean, it's a pit of a cherry. So they dry the cherry. Uh, but you called it bean juice. Earlier. Yeah. Well, the slang. Will, you, know, will, you, will you apologize? <laughs> I will not. We're too early in the game for that. Uh, we'll see how the episode. We're evolves. so early in this thing. <laughs> Absolutely. So anyway, uh, with a natural process, uh, the coffee pit dries with the whole fruit on it and it really infuses the coffee with this kind of crazy fruit dynamic acidity. And that was like mind blowing, uh, kind of step in the journey. And as I progressed in, in my coffee journey, like my tastes have certainly evolved, but kind of related to bourbon, like once you have tasted so many different things, you're looking for something new. Like certainly I have like a taste profile that I really dig and that's generally a light roasted coffee with good sweetness, good acidity. Um, I don't really want a lot of presence, presence of carbon. Like I find that kind of bitter and a little bit offensive those, those carbonic notes are common in dark roasts, and, and, and uh, carbon just being like they're they're more roasted. Like it's yes, just absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so uh, we I feel like I'm already everywhere, and I told DJ we're gonna get lost in the sauce. <laughs> no, please, yeah, that's you're what driving, the trap draws all about. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about kind of like light roast, dark roast, medium roast, yeah. all that stuff now. So I think that's that's I think helpful. It's a great way, great talk, place to start. Talk to me a little bit about like the the reasons behind the different roasting lengths and times and all that and mm -hmm. also like how, how that affects caffeine because that always really interests me yeah uh well in short it doesn't affect caffeine that much but it does a little bit so you know caffeine when when the coffee is dried it has all the caffeine it's gonna have so before we roast it um 
So real quick, before we get into roasting, let's like, we got to go back and touch on a couple origin things first. Um, so the fermentation that we were talking about, that's how you ultimately remove the fruit from the pit that you're going to roast. Um, are you fermenting it in anything or are they just, just amongst its own? Okay. <laughs> that's a Tron. That's a whole episode is fermentation. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, in some cases they ferment, and more more often than not, they ferment in these big uh, tiled uh, tanks. Okay. Uh, but they can ferment in uh, old whiskey barrels. Uh, they can ferment just in a pile in a field. So really, big range of options when it comes to fermentation. Okay. Uh, but you got to get that fermentation done to get the fruit off the pit to then dry the pit. And the goal is to get that pit at 11% moisture. That's going to keep your, your coffee pit, coffee bean stable from a flavor perspective. And then uh, roasting wise, you know, we, we roast across a roast spectrum here at Stone Creek. We know it's not for everybody. Light roasts aren't for everybody. My tastes aren't your tastes and, and vice versa. So, um, so we'll roast from light to dark, but what happens in that roast process is first we crank our roaster really hot. Like it's gotta be north of 400 degrees. And generally we're trying to run like high intensity heat with a decent amount of airflow to, to roast a coffee at a consistent level. We're trying to complete a roast um, of coffee anywhere from 11, 14 minutes, like 11 minutes for a light roast, 14 minutes for a dark roast. Uh, and as this roast process, we call it a curve because we're managing the temperature of coffee as it evolves. Uh, we're also trying to manage the rate at which the temperature of the coffee changes. Super geeky stuff. Massive kind of inside baseball moment. And on the roast, like you're not necessarily the, the light versus the dark isn't isn't based upon the temperature of the roast it's more the length of the roast yeah i mean it's ultimately the end temperature of the coffee you know it's like cooking a steak really and some a lot of coffee roasters you know you don't have to get a degree to roast coffee unfortunately so a lot of coffee roasters just like cook it until it's the color that they want but trying as a as a connoisseur of fine foods you know that you can't just cook a steak you know to a certain appearance it's really about like how you cook it like are you searing this thing are you sous viding you know like what's what's the methodology by which you arrive at this final temperature of 145 usda recommended for you know medium rare coffee is very much the same it's as the journey to get to the final temperature or the final roast color is as important as achieving the roast color at the end so it's not about the destination it's a, it's a journey as the roast develops like as we follow this curve to get from a to b in terms of roast color in the methodology by which we want to get there like the caffeine does start to kind of break down the bean becomes more porous as it's roasted and uh, you start converting uh, matter into sugar, sugar into carbon. And as the elements in the coffee, the co chemical components of the coffee break down, so does the caffeine and caffeine kind of escapes. So you'll see a little bit uh, of a little bit less caffeine in a dark roast versus a light roast. So if you want to get a little bit more jacked, uh, light roast gets you there a little faster, but so not much. it's not that much. Quick break to thank our second sponsor today, and that is Whoop, the official fitness wearable of the PGA Tour and also the official fitness wearable of the Trap Draw and the No Laying Up podcast. Kind of an interesting episode to have Whoop as a sponsor. I think wearing my Whoop and tracking certain variables helps me kind of have confidence that 
my coffee habit and my bourbon habit and my wine habit, you know, other things like that are, you know, can kind of keep them in a sustainable way and not, you know, not, uh, develop bad habits. I think tracking what time I have my last cup of coffee or, uh, you know, if I have bourbon with a meal or after a meal, kind of how that, you know, understanding how that affects me, how that stuff adds up, uh, just having the data, uh, shout out to Sally kind of strokes gained, you know, not having that second glass of bourbon or, uh, you know, not, not having a cup of coffee after 2 PM, kind of how all that affects me and my body and the rhythms that I've got. So, um, 87% of whoop members say they feel healthier with whoop. So I would say go to whoop.com. That's W H O O P.com. Use code trap draw to save 10% off your order and feel healthier and have more confidence in your habits and your decision-making, uh, with whoop. So thanks to whoop for their sponsorship. So you mentioned, uh, again, we, we kind of steered away from your, your journey. So let's, let's get back into your different hairstyles here. How did, how did this evolve? You, you mentioned you're a light roast guy. Uh, how did we, how did we get there? What, what hoops did we jump through first? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think it's like this journey, this journey of learning. Um, you know, for me, it was, a white mocha to uh dark roast with cream like i want robust flavors i've always been a fan of like hey you give me a lot of whatever you know i don't want that, that, that sounds like randy <laughs> it does dark roast with cream baby. that's right creamy drew Which, it's i mean to be fair it's still delicious i'm i'm not team dark roast today but if i gotta drink a dark roast like kind of mixing the carbon notes with the cream makes it much more delicious in my opinion but yeah, so from there, I, I started drinking, you know, more medium. And then I moved to light roasts, like as I got more into coffee as, you know, a career pursuit. And I'll say initially, like my opinion of light roast was almost like it would make the hair on the back of my neck stand up because that acidity, you know, especially as the coffee cooled, you start to like pull out this like citrus acidity and a lot of light roast, which can be a little bit like hair curling. Uh, if you're not used to it, like now I, I look for it. Like I want, I want these sparkling fruity malic acidity, citric acidity, phosphoric acidity, all these different acidities are present in coffee. And so now I'm on that journey of just like, what, what can I find that blows me away? That blows my mind. I've tasted so much coffee uh, that now I just want like the most mind bending thing I can possibly find, which if Drew is that, like, is that, is that basically going and finding stuff sourced from different regions or different areas? Or is that more like that's, that's, that's much less about the roasting process and much more about the actual coffee itself and the, you know, the ground it was grown on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So from a professional standpoint, when it comes to like, what do we do here at Stone Creek? Um, yeah, certainly there's elements of my own tastes that show up in what we do, as well as our founder, my business partner, Eric, like we kind of lead the green coffee buying. He's actually technically the lead buyer, but then, you know, we do a lot of the work together and I do a lot of the travel. So from a business standpoint, when we're looking for something crazy, crazy comes from the variety of coffee, like wine, again, Tron, I know I'm speaking your language here. Uh, coffee has many different varieties. So whereas with wine, we've got Petite Syrah, we've got Zinfandel, we got Cabernet, we've got Chardonnay. Um, with coffee, you have Bourbon, you have Couture, Catuayi, Geisha, SL28, 
and many others, uh, many others. Tipica, I could keep going, um, just not going to right now. Uh, so each of those varieties contributes to coffee flavor in a certain way. The, the terroir in which that variety is grown impacts the flavor. And then the processing, you know, the, well, the cultivation practices, how well is the plant cared for, et cetera. The fermentation, certainly how well the coffee's dried, how long it's dried for, and then how you roast it, then how you brew it. Like there's so many different variables in making great coffee. But when we're looking for weird, generally we're, we're looking for high quality coffee and then the quality of the fermentation, because that's where things can really get dynamic in terms of flavor development or introduction in coffee is actually in the fermentation side before we get our hands on it. And then of course we manipulate it through roasting and blending. You, you mentioned tasting a lot of coffees. Where does uh, Phil's coffee for wellness fall into this spectrum for you? <laughs> uh, aspirational, uh, <laughs> may, maybe slightly fictional. Uh, I was actually at Ryder cup practice round at, at whistling and Phil's out on the practice green talking to Brooks, uh, and, uh, Strick. And uh, he's got his coffee there, and I, I asked him what was in it, but he didn't answer me. So he and I have been on the outs ever since. Not that we were ever on the ins, but gosh, man, it was hilarious when he started like hustling that brand. Just w- one thing I'll, I'll say, story wise, is we did a podcast for a long time, probably three years, I guess. That's not a long time, but we did a coffee podcast every week, and one of the things we did was. Uh, Basically, coffee for wellness. Y'all have heard about bulletproof coffee, I'm sure. Same basic thing is like, let's add a bunch of like these supplements and a bunch of fat to your coffee. And it's supposed to basically uh, supplement your your breakfast and maybe even your lunch if you're doing. Dude, I was at the airport yesterday and Starbucks has this new olive oil and coffee yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, what the yeah. hell is this? I mean, it's it's a riff on the bulletproof coffee shenanigans. It's basically to help intermittent fasting, you know, uh, the the combination of caffeine which is uh kind of appetite suppressant and then um fats which a lot of you know a lot of fats even liquid fats big time appetite suppressant so you're like is it for wellness well there's a lot of literature out there um competing sometimes in terms of whether or not it's actually good for you to go that long without food or to live on your coffee and, you know phil seems like he's doing really well right now so <laughs> who's to argue with him yeah. Maybe, maybe some Ozempic. Exactly. Uh, I think sure I think we always in there. always encourage yeah. trap draw listeners to do their own research. Is that right, Trod? Drew, uh, quickly, like so, going back to the fermentation, is that something that that the the people like the farmer, the people doing the sourcing, or the the uh, people doing the cultivation are doing, or is that something that you're doing on your end? Once no, yeah. In? So yeah, fermentation always happens right after the coffee is picked. Okay. So um, it can happen as like a collaborative effort. If there's a type of fermentation we like, we can ask the producers we work with every year, hey, can you you know do it this way? Can you basically run our fermentation recipe? Um, the problem with it is, is fermentation is uh, dynamic and yeah. highly varied. So, you know, depending on what the weather's like, depending on what, you know, the natural yeast in the air is like that time of year, every fermentation cycle is going to be a little bit different. Uh, but generally to answer your question happens at origin and it's mainly yeah. controlled by the producer. Okay. All right. So you, you travel around a lot, you try a lot of different coffee. I, I'm curious when you go into a new coffee shop, what, how do you judge quality? Like, I, I love the thing that chefs say when they're like, you know, I order an omelet because like if someone could cook an omelet, like 
properly they can cook anything right so what what's your equivalent of that yeah well first the first thing i honestly look for is is the team engaging nice friendly welcoming because like honestly whereas i can probably discern a lot of quality uh issues or positives in coffee that's not for everybody you know like i've been doing this for 10 years now um and doing it mindfully for 10 years. So the first thing I look for in a good coffee experience is that interaction across the counter. That said, when it comes to, yeah, right. (laughs) We should amen that. Um, When it comes to the coffee itself, the first thing I'll, I'll do is I'll order a latte actually, because there's a visual element to a latte, the latte art on top. That's an immediate indicator of does this barista know what they're doing? Like, have they been trained well? If they've been trained well, then they should be able to steam their milk and incorporate it well with the espresso to the point that it looks lovely. And I'm sure you all have seen this, the, the hearts, the tulips, the rosettas, the swans on top of lattes. Um, all that happens just from how they steam the milk and how they pour it. So that's a prime indicator of, of quality. I think on, on that note, one of my favorite things we've talked about is the fact that you guys at Stone Creek get all your baristas together to almost do like rap battles, like latte art battles. What is it like once a year, once a quarter or something? Yeah. Three times a year. So <laughs> our next one is next Thursday and yeah. Uh, shout out Eminem and eight mile, but yeah, we do have these latte art throwdowns uh, where we welcome our baristas in, we throw a party, you know, we, we got food. It's, you know, you can win 500 bucks if you're first place and it's just a competition judged by a panel of three judges of who can you know, pour the best latte and it's bracketed. So, you know, it's knockout style and it, they're just the best. Uh, a latte art throwdown is about as good as it gets in terms of times to be adding coffee. What's the most provocative artwork you've seen on a latte? Uh, probably a double swan, you know, like I've seen a lot of garbage. If you just search latte art on the interwebs, uh, you'll see a lot of people basically painting their lattes. That's yeah. not the same thing as like a poured poured latte, but kind of our baristas here, uh, the last thing they learned to do is a swan, which is very, very difficult. I've never actually been able to, I don't pour a lot anymore, but I'm pretty good and I, I can't do a swan. And so those baristas who are able to incorporate two swans in the same mug is just like some serious next level stuff. <laughs> uh, so I guess speaking of this, you know, we were talking before we hit record and you were saying one of your one of the most frequent questions you get is just simply like, why? Why does my coffee at home? I'm doing all the right stuff. Why does this not taste like the coffee shop? What, how, how do you tackle that question? I mean, there's a lot of reasons, <laughs> but there's like five. And if you'll if you'll bear with me, uh, we'll try and pick them apart because DJ, I think one of our first convos, we actually had this exact conversation. Yeah. First off, the very first thing you need to consider before your coffee, before your equipment, it's water. Water is 95% of your, sometimes as much as 98% of your uh, finished cup of coffee. So if you start with crappy water, you're going to have crappy coffee, like that you cannot make great coffee without great water. So, so all right, here in Florida, I, we have shitty water here. You know, yeah. very, very saline, very salty. Uh, should I be using distilled water? No, no, you shouldn't. Um, you should use a purified water, but you okay. don't want to use distilled unless there's a great product uh, that we sell at StoneCreekCoffee.com. It's called Third <laughs> Wave Water. 
okay. called third wave water. And what you do is if you start with a certain amount of distilled water, you add this third wave water in and it's, it provides the exact total dissolved solids uh, you need to extract your coffee well, as well as the right alkalinity. So, you know, the, your okay. water to make the best coffee should have the right alkalinity and then the right um, like mineral composition within it. And that third wave water product will help you get there. What we use in our cafes is reverse osmosis with mineral add back. If you want an easy path, which many of us do, um, just go to the store and buy like purified drinking water because it's going to be really, really close. It's going to get you way better than water out of your tap. A carbon filter on your faucet is better than nothing, but depending on the base product you're working with out of your tap, it just may not be enough. And what it's going to help you do is getting your water dialed is going to help you, again, extract the right elements out of the coffee. If there's too much dissolved crap in your water, when you go to try and dissolve your coffee, which is what you're doing, that's what extraction is, is you're dissolving stuff out of those beans, um, you're not going to be able to dissolve the good stuff. You're just going to get le left with kind of a muddy, huh. chalky, not great cup of coffee versus something that's fruity and dynamic, as it should be if you're using great coffee. So that's water. That's number one. Okay. Number two, we again, we haven't gotten to coffee yet. Grind slash grinder. So if you've got your water dialed, uh, you need to have a grind size that's very consistent. Uh, if you have a lot of very coarse pieces of beans and like really like fine pieces of beans, you're not going to extract that coffee at an even rate. So you're going to end up over and under extracting your coffee at the same time. Uh, one of the worst kind of grinders you can have is those blade grinders, you know, where you pour your coffee and it's got a blade that spins and just beats yeah. the crap out of the coffee. Just wax it into a million pieces and then you open it up. And on top, there's like full beans. And then down below, there's like powder. So we don't want that. Take that away. What you want is a, a burr grinder. Uh, and there are varying qualities of burr grinder. My grinder at home is like a $300 grinder. Um, but it's the most expensive piece of coffee equipment I have. Because it's the most important one outside of making sure your water is right. So there are. There are. And... Uh, Again, stonecreekcoffee.com. Uh, appreciate the ability to pitch that here. But we've got like three or four different grinders of different price points that all will, will suit you well. I will say you get what you pay for. So that's grind. Make sure your grind's dialed. Get a good grinder. And uh, you need to match your grind to your brew method. That's what I was going to say. There's a whole bunch of other calculus that has to go on as, as far as if you're making pour We're overs. Get there. Making, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Continue. continue. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so next up is your coffee. All right. Like you need good coffee. You're not going to make good coffee without good coffee. Um, now, what you perceive as good coffee kind of depends. You know, it's up to you. I'd say that's kind of the most fun part of the journey. And the, the thing I say to help people kind of dial into what they love is taste a lot of things. And as much as possible, try and taste them side by side. So buy three different pounds of coffee and then do three little brews and then taste them and, and try and think about what do I like out of this particular coffee versus this other one. Just help you literally triangulate into the things that you dig. We have the benefit of we're tasting, you know, tables full of 20 coffees. So 20 different little coffee samples. Um, so a lot it's of context. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so like that's you talk about like my palate development and how do I get from white mocha to drinking anaerobic honey process geisha varietal coffees. <laughs> it's because I tasted a lot of coffee over 10 years. And I, I kind of know at this point what I like. And 
it seems like eventually you end up liking what is quote unquote best and most expensive. But again, I think Funny how that works. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, next up, uh, your coffee to water ratio is hella important. Uh, and I see a lot of people mess this up. I was just at my brother's house in Amarillo and he made a pot of coffee and I was like, bro, how much coffee did you put in that pot? And he's like, well, he's, he holds up this little scoop and he's like eight of these. I'm like, you need to use like 20 of those for the size of pot of coffee you just brewed. So generally way too watery. Yeah. And most people do not use enough coffee for their water. And they're trying to save money economics, but listen, if you want good coffee, you're going to have to pay for it. That is that. That is says the way the, it is. Says the coffee roaster. <laughs> says the hey, coffee listen, we're gonna, One thing that I'll end with, uh, maybe end with, or maybe we'll talk about sooner rather than later, is coffee is uh, criminally undervalued. Like the whole supply chain, like yeah. the whole economic benefit of coffee or the economic problem behind coffee is it's not sustainable. We'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. We're not done with the yeah. brew variables here. Absolutely. So coffee to water ratio you want by weight. One part coffee to 15 parts water. Maybe you can stretch that to 17 parts water. So one to 15 or one to 17. I normally measure in grams. You can measure in ounces, but get yourself a scale. Most of us have kitchen scales, especially if you you like to cook. So use that thing for your coffee. One to 15 or one to 17. Um, And last thing is your brewing apparatus and making sure that your grind size matches that. So... You can make good coffee in pretty much any kind of brewer. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I want better coffee. I'm going to buy a new brewer. That's the last thing you should do. You really need to manage all these other variables first. Um, what I like to do is I like to brew little amounts. It gives me a lot of control over like the time of the extraction um, because the, the amount of time that the water is on the beans matters a lot when it comes to extraction. So I'll normally brew one or two cups um, at a time depending if I'm brewing just for me or maybe for my wife as well. And I'll use a pour over. Uh, I'll either use a V60 or kind of rarely use a Chemex. I used to use the Chemex a lot, but um, the, uh, I'll spare you. That's a whole rabbit trail about the pros and cons of the Chemex. Maybe another episode. Anyway, what I do is I you want to use like a medium fine grind for a lot of pour overs, except for the Chemex. You want to use a coarse grind. For your everyday brewer, everyday at home brewer, uh, you want to get about as medium as possible. So if you have a high quality grinder, set that thing on medium. Don't go super fine. It's actually going to like clog up your filter. It's going to over extract your coffee. If you want your coffee stronger, add more coffee. Don't make the grind finer. Any downside to like when you buy coffee, buying whole bean or buying ground, like like when you when you grind it ahead of time at the shop versus grinding it immediately before you brew it? Is there any big distinction there? There is, but it it depends on what you're working with. So if you're buying from a roaster where the coffee's very fresh uh, and you have a very poopy grinder at home, then you probably want to actually have it ground at the shop because they're grinding it correctly for your brewer is going to really help your experience and the quality of your extraction at home. Uh, If you have a grinder at home, then yeah, just do it at home because then it'll be super fresh. Coffee will stale faster, quite a bit faster after it's ground versus staying whole bean. But grind size being so important, even over the kind of coffee you're using. um, Yeah, yeah. I think that if you don't have a good grinder, get it ground at the coffee shop where they can help you set it up for your brewer. And then then as far as stay, like, coffee going stale what's what are the the hallmarks of that how do you tell whether your coffee's stale 
a couple like well one cheating way and then one flavor way first thing if it's whole bean it won't go stale if you keep it in a um you keep it sealed well it won't go stale for like a month uh at a month you'll probably see some diminishment like up to two months and then it'll start to get pretty stale after that in terms of like what it tastes like when it gets stale just the acidity will become less vibrant it it um there are also some spice notes in coffee the aromatics will be a lot less so like when you're brewing it up you won't be hit as with as strong of an aroma like if you've got coffee that's like seven days off roast which is kind of prime you don't want it right off roast you want it about seven days off roast because it's releasing actually co2 and a bunch of other stuff right off roast kind of tastes like popcorn um when you, you're brewing coffee seven days off roast, it just fills the room with its aroma. It's remarkable. But those aromatics begin to dissipate, um, yeah. you know, and be, become much less pronounced after about a month. When you're brewing it, if you're brewing it uh, via manual brew and you're actively you know, messing with those grounds and you're watching them, you'll see that uh, when you're brewing it a month later, a month off roast, it's actually going to release less gas when the water hits it because that's a big reaction that happens. When those grounds saturate, there's a big off-putting of gas with fresh coffee. That's a sign that, oh, what I'm working with here is fresh. Uh, if you're not seeing a lot of gas released from the coffee, when the water hits it, it's a sign that your coffee's getting stale. How much do you experiment with like the temperature of the water that you're using? Uh, I used to experiment with it a lot, and certainly we do that when we're making cold brews. Another episode. Uh, but <laughs> the... Uh, the coffee we, series. I think yeah. we're, yeah, we're, sure. we're on to something here. Yeah. Um, what I will say on brewing hot is you kind of want to brew as close to boiling as possible. Is okay. you want your slurry, you know, the brew basket, that the the mixture of water and coffee to be hot. And so, like, there's a little worry. Like, am I going to burn it? Because people will say, I don't like burned coffee. Starbucks burns their coffee. Well, they don't burn it in the brewing. What they do is they burn it in the roasting and. They do it to maintain flavor consistency, which is a bit of a flavor sacrifice. But um, it's it's almost impossible to burn your coffee um, in the brewing process. You can burn it after it's brewed if you let it sit on one of those hot plates. Like if you brew yeah. 12 cups and you're, you let it sit there on something that's basically cooking it post-extraction. Uh, but you want your coffee, like I'm shooting for 205 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Sorry, these are really long answers. No, that's great. <laughs> I could have said two hundred details. That's the target. <laughs> From a okay, so let's say you're you're on a road trip or you're you know you're traveling, you're going through an airport, whatever. What are the uh, the big stayaways for you, coffee wise? Let's let's name some names. And what are the ones <laughs> that you're like that 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 can is going to get me through it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I was yeah. So as a as a coffee geek. What I'll say is even bad coffee is better than no coffee. Sure. So I'm not too proud to say I've drunk a lot of coffee that I wouldn't choose to drink on a regular basis. But guys, I mean, I will take Starbucks when I go home if that's what's available to me because I love coffee that much. It's kind of like bourbon, like even bad bourbon, almost. Almost any bad bourbon is better than no bourbon at all. Uh, I might not say the same for wine. Anyway, uh, that said, there are things that I'll stay away from, mainly from a, if I feel like it's overvalued. So there are coffee roasters that I've been to, one in northern Illinois. Uh, I, I'm not going to name names because uh, it will inevitably, I'll, I'll seem very rude and mean. But the coffee is old. Like you can tell that they're roasting old coffee. So when 
you know, if that uh, green pit is sent to the United States and it's not roasted in six to nine months, you'll start to see a degradation of flavor um, in that pit. And you can taste that in coffee because it'll start to taste kind of cardboardy and burlappy. So if I go to a specialty coffee roaster, somebody who's like claiming to do it right, and they've got all the right hipster paraphernalia in the window, uh, but the coffee tastes old, then I'm like, well, listen, you can't you can't make promises and not keep them. So I, that's a big turnoff for me, and I, I'd rather go to Starbucks versus like a specialty roaster that I didn't feel like was doing a great job. And then also like I gotta say the worst experiences I have in coffee aren't related to the coffee at all. And they're not even related to the team, but one place in Phoenix I'll never go back to, which was the worst bathroom experience, honestly. <laughs> like horrendous, horrendous bathroom. I'm like, don't you guys want to like care for the people who like come into your space? Like the cleanliness of the bathroom matters. And then like that makes me wonder what does the food service area look like? You know, I'm I'm asking somebody to brew my coffee for me. Like I hope it's clean and the bathroom is kind of still it's still hospitality, right? Like P. Yeah. 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 What do you think about Dunkin' coffee? You're not a fan, Tron, I got to say. Like, I, I have had it. Um, you know, my apologies to those on the northeast uh, side of this country. I Dunkin' is, uh, I mean, it's like masquerading as good coffee. It's what, what in, in the industry, we would call it premium coffee. There are grades of coffee. I talked about specialty coffee earlier. Specialty coffee technically has a quality grade of 80 or above out of a 100-point scale. Um, but a lot of businesses like... What, sorry, uh, what uh, makes up that scale? Now I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, that's a certification process. Like There are elements to coffee that contribute to the quality. So uh, aroma being one of them, uh, acidity being one of them, um, mouthfeel, overall flavor, uh, presence or absence of defects, like all of this contributes to how you grade a coffee. Um, so what a company like Duncan will do is they'll buy cheap coffee, which there are, again, economic problems with that we could get into. Uh, at not economic for Duncan, economic for disenfranchised uh, countries, underdeveloped countries. Um, I'm saying I'm a lot. But uh, Duncan <laughs> is the presenting their product and building like, oh, yeah, Duncan's the best coffee, whatever. And like certainly if there's an element of nostalgia or even uh, maybe tribalism uh, when it comes to folks from Boston and their deep affection for Duncan. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's just like it doesn't hold up when it's compared. And as somebody who's a coffee geek, you know, it's like architecture geeks in golf, right? Like there are courses that market themselves as, you know, this – bastion of american golf um or you know really high quality designed by joe bob uh but then you go out to the course and you're like well there, there's nothing unique about this thing like it, it, there's there's no creativity at play it's just pandering and for, for like that's a bit of a harsh criticism but for somebody who like lives uh drinks and breathes coffee you know that that's why i'm not really into duncan uh because of that kind of play and also i just don't think it's like Good, that good it doesn't match the flavor profile that i yeah. want to get out of my coffee to dj's question like does anybody punch above their weight like mcdonald's or caribou or einstein brothers yeah. or, or dutch brothers like you know, where, where, where you're like oh my gosh like this is actually yeah. a really good example of mass distribution of a relatively decent quality product yeah it's one but they punch above their weight in pretty much everything and that's chick-fil-a 
Chick-fil-A coffee. Wow. They put a lot of effort into their coffee. You know, they put a lot of effort into their speed. They put a lot of effort into the quality of their sandwich, you know. So, yeah, it seems like, you know, they work really hard on a few things, which I think is a great, like, business lesson. Like, pick the things you're going to be great at and crush it there. They do great. Um, and actually know some of the people that they source their coffee from. They do a lot of work in Guatemala, Costa Rica. They do a lot of, you know, similar stuff to what we do, actually, in terms of direct trade. They're just buying uh, some slightly different quality levels than what we would. Yeah. But yeah, if you want a good fast food coffee, it's going to be Chick-fil-A. All right, well, let's get into, we've mentioned kind of like some of the, the sourcing countries and some of the trips you've taken there. Let, let's get into that. So how much of the, about that did you know before you made your first trip? What are, what have been the biggest lessons that you've learned in subsequent trips? I know you guys are kind of over there or, or abroad all the time visiting, you know, farms that you guys buy from and, and all sorts of different things. What are our big takeaways from that process? Of yeah. The last decade. So I joined Stone Creek in 2014 and then uh, took my first trip in 2015. And I didn't know much at all. I mean, Stone Creek started sourcing directly a couple of years before I joined the team. Um, so I was, you know, kind of in full learning mode initially there. And, uh, you know, of course I knew like it's a plant, it's a cherry. Like I'd, I'd done the reading as it were, but, um, to kind of see it for yourself and see the scope of what has to happen to get coffee on a boat, uh, is, is truly remarkable. Uh, it's kind of mind bending. You know, when I talk about coffee being a cherry, normally that kind of throws people a little bit cause we think of it as a bean. And then when we start, start talking about fermentation, yeah, that kind of throws people for a loop a little bit too, because we don't think of coffee as this, as something tangential to beer, like that doesn't feel right. But like, there are some elements where there's some crossover in terms of how you have to treat this organic product um, and how you can manipulate flavors through cultivation and then this bizarre fermentation process. So um, just a sheer scope of, of how to get coffee from farm to Milwaukee you know, I knew how complicated it was to go from getting it to Milwaukee and getting it to people's cups, which is a whole other thing. Um, but seeing that that side of it, uh, I think, and we just actually produced a video with Matt Golden, shout out Matt Golden, um, kind of capturing a trip that we take every year with a group of our employees. And, and one of the things I say in that video is that you do gain an appreciation for the value of coffee when you see the origin side of it. You see uh, all the work that goes into it, all the hands that go into it. And quite frankly, the lack of infrastructure um, that supports it, you know, like we think of coffee as this really refined thing in the United States. You come to a Stone Creek coffee shop and it's clean and it's modern and everybody's well trained and everybody's really pro and, you know, they're going to deliver this amazing coffee experience. But all the respect that we have maybe for coffee in the United States um, like that doesn't end up getting shown or reflected in what happens at origin. So again, like I, I've said a couple of times, coffee is highly valuable, but is is almost criminally undervalued uh, in the larger social sphere, given all the work, all the hands it takes to produce it at origin and how economically unsustainable uh, that is. And if I have a sort of like uh gears to grind, uh, sort of like a Gary player in trees on golf courses situation. Um, it's kind of that, like, I wish yeah. like people wouldn't complain about paying $3 or $4 for a cup of coffee when in reality it kind of should cost $8. 
like we're we're in a movement here in the United States where we want to see hospitality workers paid more. You know, we're trying to get to fifteen dollar minimum wage. Would like to take it higher than that. That's really really important. But even as we do that, there's not a lot happening on the origin side to actually see sustainable wages paid to farmers so that they can continue to produce their coffee year over year over year, let alone the pickers. So like at Stone Creek and a lot of specialty coffee roasters, we're really concerned about what we pay the farmers, but there's a whole other layer there that often gets buried. And that is that the pickers often don't live on the farms. They're often uh, migrant workers who come from surrounding countries making next to nothing to pick these coffees by hand, which is what's necessary in making good coffee. And while specialty coffee, like the coffees that we buy, certainly have a dramatic economic improvement like um, in what a producer can get for their coffee and thus pay their their workers, pay their pickers. Um, the specialty coffee industry, especially like the area where Stone Creek lives, is such a small part of global coffee production that like there's just massive inequities and um, sort of colonial practices at play in the coffee market at large uh, that people don't even think about. Like we're sort of, I don't want to make any accusations uh, that are undue, but like in, in some ways we, we sort of take advantage of these uh, systems that are in place that aren't great uh, just by drinking kind of crappy coffee. We never even think about it, but it's, and it's fair. It's like, it's nobody's fault. Like they, they don't think about it because they're not aware of it, but. Yeah. What's, uh, I mean, gosh, it sounds like a lot like wine, right? Where it's like, it's this agricultural thing and it, it feels super, super refined and, and, you know, like high minded when you're, but really all they're doing, like they're growing grapes on vines and it's extremely manual labor process to get the grapes off the vines and all that. But what, um, from like a where coffee grows perspective, I know it's, it's just talk a little bit about you know, like I know Indonesia or Colombia or Guatemala, like, like what are the, what are the characteristics that need to be present to grow coffee in a certain region? Yeah. Well, we say coffee grows in beautiful places, which is true. Uh, it does have to grow good coffee. It has to grow at a certain altitude. Like if it gets too hot, uh, or too humid, that's not great for coffee. So we think of coffee growing in kind of tropical environments. Um, but it really grows in higher altitudes, like volcanic soil, is uh, really helpful because it's really, really fertile. So areas like uh, Central America, uh, uh, Northern South America are massive growing regions. And that's where we do a lot of our buying. So Colombia, Costa Rica, Guatemala, and then a lot of our coffee is grown between 1500 and 2000 meters above sea level, often on volcanic slopes. Um, so you need a climate that is fairly consistent in terms of moisture, like you need good rainfall during the growing season, and then you need it to be dry during the harvest and fermentation season. So you can control, you know, you, you don't want mold growth. You don't want rain at the wrong time because it's going to cause too much moisture to be absorbed in the bean while it's drying. That's going to wreck the quality of the bean. And then any sort of mold growth is a, a huge, huge problem. Um, now there's some big variance from country to country, like, uh, in terms of what those seasons look like, what temperatures look like, and that's where like the elements of terroir kind of come into play, what varieties grow well in different countries. And it, as you said, it's just like wine <laughs> in that, you know, a French red or even a French uh, Cabernet is going to taste different than something grown out of California, just based on things like temperature, soil components, um, things of that nature. So um, 
couple of things to just kind of call out in terms of like flavors that you can almost always identify from certain origins. Brazil is, is hot. Like it is hot and it grows at slightly lower elevation. Um, so they have quick growing and then they have quick drying because of that, the kind of, uh, it's always hot. Heat is always present. So, um, one of the byproducts of that is the, the flavor development's not really refined. You get a lot of nutty notes. Peanut is a very, very common note in Brazil coffee. So if you like a nutty coffee, look, look for Brazilian coffees. Um, if you want something that's floral, so you get like jasmine, honeysuckle, and then maybe lighter notes uh, like peach, you'll find those often in Ethiopian coffees. The beans get really, really dense there. Uh, I'm a big Ethiopian coffee guy. I like that florality, that more delicate, almost tea-like body sometimes. If you're looking for something funky, uh, that would be where Indonesia, Sumatra kind of comes in. Not my, not my jam, but one of the things they do uh, in their kind of fermentation drying process is they'll remove everything from the pit, including like a, a little protective layer called parchment, which most other countries leave on through the drying process. They'll remove it all and dry the coffee that way. So the pit itself is exposed to the elements in the drying process. And so it'll kind of absorb these funky flavors from the environment. Uh, so it tends to get pretty earthy, sometimes tobacco, um, kind of a raw nut, not as like roasted peanut as Brazil, but kind of more of like raw, raw, raw kind of Brazil nut vibe. So I'm, I'm out on Sumatras because I tend to like mine more fruity, acidity, less funky. We say sweet, clean, and juicy. Those are the, the kind of big coffee descriptors we dig. And Central and South America is great, great for those. Costa Rica, Guatemala, uh, Colombia. Colombia tends to be very citrus forward, lemon, lime. Guatemala, a little more cherry, milk, chocolate. Costa Rica, they do a lot of honey processing, which is a kind of fermentation where you can get uh, some more like berry, strawberry notes, stuff like that. So how do you get, you guys obviously have a pretty big operation trying to hit a bunch of different kind of palettes. How do you, how do you find that balance and not just gravitate towards everything that you like? Yeah, well, uh, so I think, how do we do it? We just do, do it. It helps that we've got, you know, like a decent sized team with different kind of flavor yeah. perspectives. But, you know, as craftspeople, that certainly uh, guides us in a certain part of our line, like those reserve releases, which are the craziest coffees we can find, the rarest, the most expensive. Um, but uh, yeah, you you, bo you both have I'm, one of those. Deep in, the, deep in the juicy grape right now. I'm, I'm savoring my last few beans of the juicy grape reserve. Really good. But we know that like customers will kind of tell us what they like if we listen. So we do regular customer surveys and then I'm a big numbers guy. So I just look at what, you know, like what are people gravitating toward? What products are performing well? Um, and maybe we Stro should do more Stro of that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the eye test is more the reserve and yeah, it's a strokes gain play on, you know, the dark roasts and, and mediums and you know, the, the, Flavor preferences of the market kind of change slowly over time. So we say, you know, we're going to drive on the core, stimulate the edges. So, you know, we, we know what we sell. We know what we sell a lot of, but then we're always trying to play too. What's your, like, so planning a trip out, are you, do you have kind of someone in the market or on the ground that's kind of guiding you and saying, hey, this, this farmer is doing really, really avant-garde stuff or cool stuff over here and you're doing a bunch of research prior or... Kind of take us through planning on one of your trips. How long are the trips? How many do you take a year? 
yeah sort of thing. It, we weren't able to travel much at all uh last few years due to covid uh, yeah. shout out to vid but uh you know it's a big probably uh, a lot of stuff similar to the tc way in terms of try, trying to map logistics uh, we use social media a lot like we have made a lot of contacts with farmers through social media given that in terms of specialty coffee roasters, like the kinds of coffee we buy, we're one of the bigger roasters in the United States. Um, so we have a lot of folks reaching out to us offering samples. So more often than not, we've tasted folks coffee before we've ever gone to to visit them. Um, so we'll connect with folks through social media. And then also a lot of these farms don't do their own exporting. They can't get the coffee out of the country. So they'll work yeah. with these larger organizations, exporters. Um, so we'll connect with exporters who connect us with farmers. Certainly exporters take their cut, but it's a, it's a necessary part of the operation. Like either you pay an exporter to get your coffee out of the country yeah. and technically we pay the exporter or there's no, no way to get it out of certain conversely places. are there importers like people that are sourcing stuff into the country that are that are relatively you know that are kind of curating it on a on a pretty thoughtful way yeah yes uh we use them for just like sometimes some of our smaller lots of coffee we try whenever we're buying big coffee we try and do that direct that's kind of our our shtick um but a lot of small coffee roasters buy their coffee exclusively through importers atlas ally cafe imports that's the name of some names of some of these larger importers where they'll go and they'll source the coffee through exporters sourcing you know direct from farmers and then they'll market it to coffee roasters there's some five to seven thousand okay. coffee roasters in the united states so there's quite a market for that so looking at like looking ahead at like 2023 and then all of 2024 like how many trips do you have planned how long are these trips yeah so we did most of our travel this last spring. We're hoping to get to Colombia maybe later this year, but we went Guatemala, uh, Costa Rica, which those were the places we kind of needed to get to this year. Um, so it depends on the year and what we're trying to do in a particular origin. Uh, once we've established partnerships, we don't really need to go back every year. We try and see them on a regular basis, but you know, our buying is fairly consistent year over year outside of uh, you know, a couple of spots in our light roast line and our reserves. So this year, let's just take this year, for example, every year we take employees every year that COVID isn't limiting international travel. We take employees who've been with us over five years uh, to go see this part of the process. So we generally do that in Guatemala. So I took a team in November and then I took another team in February to Guatemala. Um, and that's also where, that, like when I was there with them, we were there for a week. That's also where I did our lot selection Um and then from there, the team flew back. And then I flew on to Costa Rica and met up with uh, my business partner, Eric. And we did our lot selection in Costa Rica as we were working with new partners there out of Costa Rica. Um, in Colombia, we've been developing some relationships that we've managed by and large just through uh, shipment sample and like remote communication. But there's a couple operations we've been working with for like three or four years now out of Colombia that we still haven't gone to see. So that's like we need to get down there. The glory of Zoom, Skype, Google Hangouts, um, social media is we can have these direct relationships without having been there. We prefer to be there and we can do a lot of cool work and find a lot of cool coffees being on the ground that we couldn't couldn't do if we were you know entirely remote. But um, yeah, that's kind of generally how it works. What about Ethiopia? 
I would love to get to Ethiopia. I have never been to Ethiopia. Um, traveling there is a bit more complicated, you know, whereas we can zip down to Guatemala, Costa Rica, Colombia, and it takes, you know, 12 hours door to door. You know, Ethiopia is going to take us 36 hours plus door to door. Um, and then we wouldn't like if we went, it'd probably just be me or uh, me and Eric, as we're probably not going to take a team of employees. It's, it's a little bit more uh, unstable, you know. That there are some risks that I've been to a few risky areas. A few times I've been nervous on the road. Um, so not often, but it does happen. So with, with so many, you know, roasters and distributors all kind of sourcing from pretty much the same areas, I guess two questions. How do you differentiate? Like what are the biggest ways you guys feel like you differentiate? And I guess second of all, how much of that is, not to, you know, cheapen it, but how much of that is, marketing how much of that is customer service how much of that is you know yada 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 that has nothing to do with the actual coffee because like how, how much can your clientele kind of tell i guess do, do you know what i'm yeah, getting at that's a great question and you know i i think i've i've confided in you some that i wish our i wish the general consumer could tell more sometimes how we built our business is really based on a cafe experience being that there's five to 7,000 roasters in the United States, our online sales, we're not just competing with the coffee shop across the street. We're competing with, you know, every single other roaster that you could order from online. And it's hard to differentiate without getting the product in somebody's hands if they're just shopping for coffee. So where we win is creating remarkable cafe experiences. Um, and that's where like the quality of our teams matters so much. And we're so blessed to have, just an amazing squad uh, in our cafes, from our cafe managers to our baristas. Our HR team is really, really good. Our training team is really, really good. And ultimately that gets felt by the customer. So we could have better coffee than any of our local competitors. And I would say we do, we quantifiably do, but I don't think a customer who isn't as deep into the coffee as I am is going to recognize that but what they will recognize is how miguel and zapora and annalise and kira at downer treat them when they come in the door like do they feel like they're at home do they feel like the space is safe and welcoming and clean um like so that's ultimately how we compete here in this market and i think when folks travel beyond that or like they experience that they want to then share those products uh, you know, with their loved ones or, you know, they move away, they still order our stuff. So, you know, we're sending coffee across the country, but it's normally because somebody had a very personal interaction with Stone Creek. Yeah. From that perspective, like, is there anything that people order and you're like, fuck man, I gotta make this. <laughs> I feel so bad. You, you turned me on to all these V60s and so now I'm going and I'm like, oh, I, like, uh, if you guys don't mind, like I'd love a V60 and I could just, I could, of course the team does a great job of, of hiding their resentment, but I'm, sure. I can tell it's just like, oh yeah, cool, man. It's going to be fucking 25 minutes. Like, it, was yeah, like, it, like, it was like being a server in college and like, like, you know, it'd be like a really, really busy lunch and somebody would be like, I want to, I want tea after lunch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Really? So I think <laughs> I think the team loves to make V60s, I think, and pour overs and stuff. I think it's tough to make in a rush. Sure. So like I'll also order V60s sometimes, but I'll say, listen, it's whenever you get to it. Cause I'm I'm there to hang out usually. You know, I'm there to work. So like whenever you can get to it. You know, certain cafes can manage it a little easier than the one you're closest to, Deej. Are by far our busiest cafe. They're always crushed. Um 
So yeah, I'd say like that generally like a V60 may be tough for them, but I also think it's the most fun for them to make. So it's like, it's a bit of a, like, uh, okay, yeah, for sure. Like, and I'll enjoy it, but I'm also going to get behind on these other orders. So that would be a little bit tough. Uh, I know that there are certain drinks, like the more complicated, the more likely it is to be remembered by the barista. And then you'll get a code name potentially. Like if you're quad <laughs> shot double caramel with lavender, Steve, you know, then that's going to be your, like, oh, Steve, you mean double quad shot caramel with lavender? Yeah. <laughs> uh any any big trends you see in in coffee coming up what's around the corner that that's great uh great question too i think coffee itself like we're we're leaning like we're we're looking for new right so the the essence of the coffee we're starting to see more of what you're drinking right now dj and that's called co-fermentation and uh, that's when, as coffee ferments, there's actually things added to that fermentation tank or barrel or whatever um, to contribute to the flavors that are kind of developed in the fermentation. The one that DJ's drinking is uh, fermented with powdered grapes, so dried and ground grapes. Um, we called it juicy grape, and it tastes a lot like grapes. Um, we're getting two more co-fermented coffees in this year, ones with strawberries and ones with cinnamon. So I'm seeing more and more roasters who are, you know, constantly looking for that new, new, doing more stuff with co-fermentation. Uh, on the cafe side, it's a food play. Like the third space is what's selling in a cafe space right now. People want a place where they can be, where they can get out of the house. You know, a lot of people aren't working in offices. So where do I go to get work done or, you know, meet a friend, find community, uh, so food is an important element. Like they're going to be in the cafe for a long time. So do you have good food products, wholesome food products, um, unique? But that also aren't like wearing your staff out to the point of. Right. Like, like right. you know, you know, having to produce and, and keep those going. Like it's kind yeah. of like a set it and forget it in, the, in a case, right? Um, no. Yes, but no. So yeah. It, we have a product line that's made in our bakery. So one thing I didn't mention is right over here, we have our uh, scratch bakery and that's where we make scones, croissants, um, muffins. And then we make uh, what we call stuffed breads and it's brioche buns filled with stuff that you can reheat quickly. But then also in Downer, which is the cafe by Deej, um, we have a hot kitchen with a whole team devoted to making stuff fresh breakfast sandwiches bowls right now i'm deep in this uh zucchini fritter with uh like a sour cream sauce chives and bacon it's exquisite and then uh in whitefish bay the cafe we're building as well they'll have that hot kitchen element as well as a as, as a proprietor of these places what is a good like rules of the road for someone who camps out all day like should should someone be, you know, going back up to the counter every couple hours? Yeah, you, is there like, like a because that's got to be a, a real estate problem, right? <laughs> in in certain cafes, it is a real estate problem, but only normally from like ten to one. You know, that's when the cafe is packed. That's when people are most likely sitting. You know, meeting folks in the afternoon doesn't matter. We always have space in all the cafes, but my feelings are kind of mixed as both. Uh, somebody who used to frequent a cafe, you know, in college and seminary, and I would order a coffee and sit there for six hours and get the free refill and 
you know, use the bathroom, take the water, et cetera. Um, you know what that's doing to that's, the global supply chain of coffee, man? It's no good. Yeah, right. Uh, anyway, uh, so that's fine. Like, in one sense, it's totally fine. That's what part of the thing that we do. Like, we're a B corporation. Haven't talked about that yet. But um, a B corporation that's a certified company, certified by an organization called B Labs. And it's companies that are for profit, but they really exist to create value across their supply chain for a variety of stakeholders. And one of those stakeholders is a customer. So now when we're remodeling a space or building a space, like one of our kind of key motivations is to build an asset for that community. And, you know, like as long as you're there to like use it right, just use it. You don't even have to buy anything, honestly. Like that's just part of our deal is like, we really want to create a space that's for connection and in which you feel care. Cause that, you know, that's kind of rare. So like come use it. Just be nice and clean up after yourself. It's kind of one of those places that, oh, that's a big pet peeve of mine when people just leave their shit. But like, yeah, it's kind of one of the only places where people actually talk to each other and interact and commingle and all that. And then I think too, it's some of it probably comes back to thoughtful design on your end, right? Of having having stools and spots that are that are focused towards someone being in there solo versus one person camping out at a table for four, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like variable seating is huge, you know, a combination of bar seating slash workstations and then two tops, four tops. You know, when when all the two tops get taken, sometimes we'll have one at the four top, but there was literally no other place for them to sit at times. And, th and that happens, but there's no shame in the game. You know, early bird gets the worm. Well, I know we're, uh, we're we're closing in. We're gonna start landing the plane here. We've got the U.S. Open going on. Everybody's got to go get get to watching that. But uh, let's take somebody who's like a we'll call them a twenty handicap coffee drinker, twenty twenty five handicap, something like that. But they're they're looking to improve. Mm -hmm. What's you know what's the shopping list you you think you'd give them from a let's get that down to a twelve handicap? Yeah, well, I would certainly just. We'd have that water conversation. Sure. We'd get them hooked up there. We'd get them a you know one hundred and twenty dollar grinder, and then I would say like let I Any want you to try. You recommend there is that the, the ones you said you, you guys sell? Yeah, so Barazza is the name yeah. of the brand that um, probably sell. They sell a whole slew of grinders, but if you buy anything from Barazza, B A R A T Z A, um, it's going to be just fine. And what I'll do here is I'll actually uh, when I'm done here I'll set up. Go to stonecreekcoffee.com slash no laying up or trap draw. Let's do trap draw. Stonecreekcoffee.com slash trap draw. And I'll drop some products in there like beginner beginner coffees. I'll Perfect. also throw a uh, – I'll put a trap draw coupon code in there too. So there you go. Money on your venture. Look at that. Um, well, that's very kind of you. Thank you. We're a small business. We try and stay agile. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy agile. Very agile. Are you like the web developer too? You just, you just stand that up? I know a little bit of WordPress. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not, i'm not much of a tech guy honestly but uh i did you guys I are on shopify WordPress. no woocommerce okay yeah tron any other questions before we we cut this i feel like this is this has got to be the first of many we're gonna get so yeah. many coffee questions after this Drew, are you a tea guy at all do you do tea so stuff too, or i have you? a i have a complex relationship with tea i apologize that none of these answers have been succinct but um 
I like to be drinking something constantly and uh, I can't drink coffee all the time because I have kind of caffeine sensitivity and that certainly I my can't, next question. I can't <laughs> drink bourbon all the time either. You know, there's some problems associated with that as well. So I will drink tea periodically. I like them to be fruity and acidic though. Like I don't like how mellow tea is. Again, I like to get kind of punched in the face with flavor. So uh, Tron, I share your affinity for Korean barbecue um, because yeah. it's a a party in your mouth and teas are just like kind of a letdown. So while, while I go to tea frequently, I'm always let down by it. That's why I'm a, I'm a big turmeric ginger. Oh, oh dude, that's so a little bit upfront on that of like, all right, like it's going to clear out the sinuses. Now that I got the nasal procedure done too, it's, 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 it's a whole party. Yeah. It'll calm, well. the, calm the bowels too, both ginger and turmeric, yeah. anti-inflammatory, highly yeah. beneficial to the digestive system. What, uh, yeah, I was going to say any like, how many cups of coffee do you drink a day? How, like what is yeah, this? Yeah, it used to like? be a lot. It used to be a lot. I once I turned 30, uh, it started to rapidly decrease. And sometimes it'll be like almost none, like a half a mug, uh, depending on kind of where my current stress level and sleep level is at. Generally, I average about one and a half, though. I try and do it in smaller doses because I like to drink uh. it kind of like throughout the day. But honestly, like I just can't take too much caffeine. Uh, I, yeah. I'm I'm prone to like hypertension already so you add the caffeine to that and it's really easy for me to get headaches and feel like i need to like punch through a wall so they had a they had a barista really good barista in the uh media center at the u.s open uh this week and i was i was man it was cortado season (laughs) three or four cortados it was i was pretty jittery when we were walking out of there at 6 p.m each night well let me i guess before before we get you out what are your what are your decaf macro decaf thoughts because i know you guys sell like some specialty decaf stuff is that like a trend that's that's coming i kind of feel it almost feels like the non-alcoholic cocktails to me a little bit Mm -hmm. where it's like you see that stuff popping up a lot more where it's just like man i i love drinking like two cocktails but i i really don't need to have the alcohol you know do you see a similar trend with coffee and how do you decaffeinate coffee also yeah all right well yeah we can end with this but uh there's three types of decaffeination uh there's one called methylene chloride that's the cheapest uh and worst tasting way uh there's one called ethyl acetate which you'll sometimes get branded as like sugar process which is not really but it's better than methylene chloride none of these are harmful to your well-being methylene chloride sounds like <laughs> sounds really real bad, bad. It's, it's drug fine. or something it's yeah. not gonna hurt you and the third one is water processing so if you see water process swiss water process it's all the same thing and that's definitely the most expensive uh it's not necessarily better environmentally because it's a lot of water that's used um but it does create the best cup profile like taste profile in the coffee so those are the three ways to do it i would recommend water process we have two decaf coffees right now one is water process and one is ethyl acetate sugar we don't call it sugar but um anyway it just says ea process because ea sounds better than ethyl acetate which is still not harmful in any way Now, what's the future of decaf? What we're starting to see, and I'm deeply thankful for myself uh, being on Team Decaf, firmly planted on Team Decaf, is that uh, some of the most advanced producers are starting to bring the care in cultivation and fermentation to coffees that will be decaffeinated. So, um, you know, normally you just take regular coffee, you send it to a decaffeination plant that handles one of these three processes. You don't do anything special in growing uh, decaf. You can't, 
there's no such thing as coffee that's naturally decaffeinated. I take it back. There's one variety that's almost decaffeinated, but it's not good. So um, what we're seeing now is instead of uh, a lot of farms just taking a bunch of coffee and sending it, you know, like blending lots, it's generally not their best stuff, sending for decaffeination. We're seeing some of these producers um, cultivate well, keep the lot separate, do good fermentation, and then smaller lots for send smaller lots for decaffeination. So what we have right now, one we call Strawberry Fields, shout out the Beatles, um, is uh, from Colombia. It's a single farm. Uh, it's a blend of red and yellow Katura, which are it's a coffee variety um, that is kept separate, sent for fermentation, and it's really like fruity, dynamic. Uh, it's on the lighter end of a medium roast, but if you were to drink that, I, if I didn't tell you it was decaffeinated, I don't think you'd be able to tell. No, it's really good. Have, I've, I've had a lot of that too over my caffeine exploration the last couple months. And then we've got one coming. When we run out of that, we'll be doing a natural process, so natural fermentation, uh, Ethiopian water process decaf that is tastes very different from strawberry fields, but is equally as good. So we're th- this is a new thing for us. It's only been about the last year that we started to offer these like rotating more seasonal decafs because decaf is a very small part of the market. I'm not seeing it grow aggressively yet, but it's possible. Things that you're basically washing it with, those are essentially chemically bonding to the the caffeine molecules. That's correct. Yep. Okay. That's correct. Yep. So basically the coffee gets soaked opened up a little bit and then whatever chemical you're introducing bonds to the caffeine. And then what you're left over with is a caffeine sludge, which gets used. Uh, you drink it. If you're drinking monster energy drinks, uh, five hour energy, anything where that has caffeine artificially added. Yeah. It probably came from coffee. Okay. Whoa. Are you yeah. good at chemistry? Like, are you, no, are no. You, I mean, I'm like sports chemistry or, or I no. probably could be, uh, yeah. one, one of the things that it's like, Oh, just tell me what you need me to do and I'll figure out how to do it. But I didn't study chemistry. Yeah. I, I know what makes good coffee. That's it. Well, Drew, this was, this was spectacular, man. And I hope it's the first of, of many parts. So if people have other coffee questions, uh, get them in the queue. We'll, we'll do another one of these, but in the, in the meantime, what did you say that URL was you're going to set up? Uh, stonecreekcoffee.com slash trap draw. Awesome. Uh, TC, anything else? Should we get the hell out of here? No, I got, I have like a dozen more questions that this led to that I'm going to keep holstered for, for our next go around. Just work on that second agenda. Happy to jump on at any time, guys. Really a thrill for me. Uh, so massive appreciation. Awesome. Well, uh, Drew, we'll, we'll see you at uh, coffee tomorrow morning. Sounds good. All right. Rapper's favorite trapper. Hey, now I'm your favorite trapper's favorite trapper.